Good morning, everyone. The song that we just sung is a great introduction to what I want us to look at this morning. God's love doesn't fail even when we ourselves fail, even when we are accused of failing, even when we accuse ourselves of failing, we have that assurance of the unfailing character of our God who is love. When we look at our society, what is promoted, its success in whatever sphere, whether it's in business, whether it's in the academic world, whether it's at sport, everyone's looking for who wins, who comes second, that's irrelevant. And when we look at the flavor of our society, the attention is drawn always to the failings of so-called celebrities. And so the emphasis is looked, looked at is what went wrong and who can we blame, what was wrong with them. And as we look at our own walk and our own experience, all of us here have that understanding of what failing, to, of what failing means to different degrees. And so this morning, I hope that we'll see from the passages that we're going to look at that the Christian message, the message of Easter, if we can extend Easter to this week, is one of hope for those who fail. Is there anyone here this morning who hasn't had that experience of failure to some degree or another? There's no one here that is excluded from that. We all have that experience. And the message of Easter, the Christian gospel, provides hope, a message of hope, who have that sense of failing. And so I'd like us to read some passages, first of all, from Luke Chapter 22, we look at this scene in the courtyard of the high priest where the Lord Jesus has been taken, and then we see uh, Peter following and to see what happens. And then after reading this passage, we'll turn to John 21 and see uh, the Lord's interaction with him, with Peter on the lake shore. So, uh, Luke 22:54. Then seizing him, that means Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you are talking about. Just as he was speaking, the cock crowed. 
the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the cock crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. And if we can turn to the last chapter of the Gospel of John, and the Lord Jesus has appeared again to the disciples, and he's made breakfast for them, and after they'd finished eating is the passage that we're going to read now from verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. And so, as we look at this whole incident of Peter's betrayal, we turn to the chapter that we just read in Luke 22, As we've read through the Gospels of Luke, we see that Peter is strong and impetuous, and he has already declared at this point, even if Jesus were go to the cross, he, Peter, would not deny the Lord Jesus. Even if it meant death, I am going to follow you. The Lord Jesus warns him, Peter, With the cock crowing three times, you're going to deny me. And yet, despite being warned, we see Peter runs away with the other disciples when Jesus is is seized. But then he is drawn like a magnet to the unfolding of the events around the Lord Jesus. He follows at a distance, and he is somewhat in the background. But then he inches closer to what is happening in the coldness of the night. And as he's around that fire, there are those three who ask him, aren't you the one? Aren't you the one? Aren't you the one? Don't you belong to Jesus? And then three times he denies the Lord Jesus. He crumbles faced with those questions, and he prefers the security of anonymity and belonging to the group rather than profess that he's a follower of Christ. And so at that moment, the cock crows. And what do we read in verse 61? The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. 
Before the cock crows today, you will disown me three times. And so there is that awful realization that dawns upon Peter that he has betrayed the one whom he loves. And the opportunity that he had to stand with his friend, to stand with his Savior at this time of trial has gone. And he realizes that he has betrayed his friend and his Savior. And so, just looking at this whole situation, I want us to look at three things. First of all, the convicted conscience that Peter had, the gracious gaze that the Lord Jesus had for him, and finally, the deserter who was delivered and was reintegrated into fellowship. And so, first of all, the convicted conscience, what Peter experienced. He experienced fear reigning in his heart. When we see the Lord Jesus having been seized at that point with Peter together with the other disciples running away, what characterizes their lives is fear. They knew what was going to happen. They had been told what the events were that they were going to experience, yet yet nevertheless, fear gripped their heart and they ran away. And then, even as he is here in this scene, faced with the questions of these girls and these servant girls and uh, the other man, fear is gripping his heart. And that courage that he had previously disappeared like water disappearing down the the water plug. And so his confident boasts disappeared like morning mist in a bright sun. And Peter, as he hears and as, as he understands what is happening, he goes outside weeping bitterly. Why? Because there is that crushing realization that he has failed. His own self-dependence, his own self-reliance didn't measure up. And now, in the reality of the events, he sees that he has betrayed the one whom he loves. And that guilt, I would suggest, is made even stronger because the Lord Jesus told him, Peter, that he was going to betray him. He was warned of what might happen. And yet, despite that, he denied the Lord Jesus. And so his weeping is deep. Look at the verse. He went outside and wept bitterly. The word there implies the uh, real soul-wrenching experience as he realized the depth of that guilt the depth of his responsibility, that sorrow, that regret, that heaviness of heart. Is Peter's experience unique? When we look at other pages of Scripture, we see it's the same. Same experience. Same experience of betrayal of God who loves, whose love continues and is unbroken. We see David, when he speaks of his own experience of covering up his sin with Bathsheba with the murder of one of his men. What do we see in Psalm 51? But just that depth of pain, that grief of having grieved the one who loved him. 
And so, in this first point, what do we read? What, what do we understand? What lessons do we learn from this? How easy it is to voice words of commitment to the Lord Jesus, and yet when the challenge comes, to crumble and to deny Him. We see, secondly, that there is, when disobedience comes, it strips the child of God of spiritual power. Gone was the courage, gone was the boldness, boldness, gone was the determination to walk with the Lord Jesus. We see that Peter, rather than pressing on in that path of obedience and love for the Lord Jesus, goes his own way. And so it's possible for spiritual power to disappear for the child of God. Even as Samson, you remember that situation, how Samson was strong, used by God, and yet even as his hair was cut, he didn't realize that his power had gone. And so Peter's power, Peter's sense of God's presence had gone, and all he was left with was that sense of painful awareness of sin and brokenness. And we're going to look now at the second point of God's gracious gaze, the gracious gaze of the Lord Jesus. But before we come to that, let me just encourage all of us here As Jenny said earlier on, we don't know each other's situations, and there may be some of us, one of us, more of us, who may be tempted to be walking along that path of disobedience. You're at that point of choosing to go a wrong way. Let me encourage you from Peter's example. God's way is always an expression of his goodness for us, even if it's painful. And even if that way of disobedience seems to be attractive and better, we know that God's plan for us is always a plan of good. And as we choose that good way, even though it's painful, even though that way of obedience is painful, ultimately we know that blessing resides there. We see in verse 61, the Lord looked, turned, and looked straight at Peter. Scripture doesn't say what he said, but there is communication that happens between the Lord Jesus and Peter. Even as a husband and wife who know each other for a long time can speak speak to each other without saying words because they understand who each other is, So it is with the Lord Jesus and Peter. He turns, he speaks not with oral words, but he speaks love to his brother who has disobeyed and gone his own way. And he's saying, in effect, Peter, I know what you have done, but I still love you. And we see this love in the context of what's happening here. What's, the, what's happening to the Lord Jesus? He's at the point of the sin of the world being placed upon him. He's anticipating in just a few hours more that the judgment of the Father is going to fall upon him. 
And in that context, what does he do? He looks for his friend Peter. He looks for his brother Peter, recognizing that he is in need, recognizing that he is hurting. And this is an expression of love, whereas we, when we are busy, when we are stressed, when we've got things to do, our response would be, I'm too busy to think of other people, but here we have the Lord Jesus, ready now to receive the weight of that judgment upon him, but he's also looking for Peter, and he turns to Peter, and he looks to Peter with eyes of love, and what does he see? He sees Peter's eyes filled with tears and with pain. And what is he, why is he looking to Peter? He's wanting that Peter recognize what's happened and to recognize that even though he has betrayed, the Lord Jesus is still for him, is still loving him. And so this encourages us to recognize that the Lord Jesus sees us at all times, whatever our situation, nothing is hidden to him. It's so striking that this recognition that the Lord turned and looked at Peter only happens after the cock crowed. Right at that particular time, he turned and looked. He knew what was happening to Peter, and as he knew what was happening to Peter, he knows what's happening to each of his children. And as he looks upon each of his children... The encouragement is that his eyes upon us are eyes of grace for his people. He doesn't reject his people when they fail. When they fall, the eyes of the Lord Jesus are eyes of compassion and of grace. This doesn't excuse or condone what we have done, but as he shows his love to us again and again, as we were singing, it is to woo us afresh to himself, to kindle again that love in our hearts, that we might follow after him with delight and with joy. But perhaps this morning you're not a believer, you're not a Christian. The Lord has eyes for you too, eyes of love, inviting you to experience his grace, his forgiveness, and his hope that he provides for those who trust in him. And thirdly, we see the deserter delivered. We see the Peter who is restored. So we look in John chapter 21, We see now we are the other side of the cross. We see the resurrection has happened and the Lord Jesus, having met with his disciples, comes at this other occasion to meet with them. We see there in verse 21, the, the first verse afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. The Lord Jesus took the initiative to find out where they were. And we read in the earlier verses of that chapter his engagement with them. And then we come to verse 15. 
When he had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Notice that he speaks to him as Simon. Simon, a reminder of his name, not Simon Peter, Peter the rock. No, reminding him of his own brokenness and where he had come from. We see that the Lord Jesus speaks to him personally. He addresses him directly. So it's not just a global conversation here, but with the particular issue and concerns that Peter had, he speaks to him directly. He makes no mention of Peter's betrayal. He didn't say, Peter, why did you do that? There's no accusation There's no condemnation. He just asks the question, Peter, do you love me? And Peter rightly responds, Lord, you know that I love you. But the repetition of those questions just underscores the priority and the importance that the key issue is not how much we cry, how much we regret, how much We have done this or that, but now, do you love me? And we see that these questions, all on this one point of do you love me, are a precondition for serving Jesus and for serving his people. And then, having given them his instructions, He assures him in verse 18 and verse 19 that Peter would continue, that Peter would be taken in his situation, in the ministry that God was giving to him, and that he would glorify him even in his death. And so what do we have here? Peter restored to ministry. Peter restored to a relationship with the Lord Jesus. And we have uh, the message for us who fail, the message for us who are broken, that God gives us new beginnings. The devil persuades us, would try to persuade us, you've gone too far this time. He says, you can't have sinned again in that way. God can't be pleased with you That's what the devil says, and yet what we see here in this passage is reminding us that our God is a God of new beginnings, and that God works in Peter. And what do we see in the book of Acts? This man who trembled before these servant girls was empowered by God's strength to stand before the authorities and to speak with the Holy Spirit's power because he was restored, because he had new beginning. What does the Bible teach us about how God looks upon the child of God? It is always, always, always with favor. God is always pleased with his people because they are in Christ, not because they are praying enough, 
not because they are serving enough, but because they have a Christ who is sufficient enough. That when the Father looks upon His children, He sees them with joy and with delight because they are in His Son, the Lord Jesus. And so the Christian doesn't work towards the pleasure and the acceptance of God. The Christian lives from the pleasure and the acceptance of God. And it's that sense of divine endorsement and divine acceptance that empowers the Christian in his failures and in his personal disappointments to go again, to go again. And so I don't know what troubles you're facing or what weight you are having this morning. Let me encourage you by Peter's example that there is hope of a new beginning. Don't let the enemy keep you from having that look upon Christ and pressing on because it's as we are reminded again of our standing in Christ that gives to us hope even in our failings. And so as we experience his touch upon us, so then we would seek by God's grace to love him with greater devotion and take risks for his name and for the glory of his name because we are secure in him. Three things, three negatives. Not forgotten, not condemned, not separated. That's the child of God. And so let me encourage you by Peter's example here this morning. And I just want to finish with uh, one illustration. Um, A few weeks ago, I was uh, trying to clear out uh, some some things in in, uh, the office, and uh, I came across an old uh, photograph album. And I came across two things. Uh, How many of us here remember Polaroid photos? Yeah. They were all the rage 30 years ago. The instant photo. But you look at them now, and what's the quality of that instant photo? It's faded. And uh, for some of them, you can barely make out uh, what was happening there. That might be a picture of our love for others, but it's not a picture of the love for the Lord Jesus. His love is always sharp, always fresh, always alive. And when I came to some other pictures, I saw um, some pictures, family pictures, uh, that were of three or four generations ago. And I asked my sister, who are these people? They don't know. And it was in some sense a picture of how we can forget people. But God never forgets us. He never forgets who we are because we belong to him. And his eye is always upon us. And it's an eye of grace and of compassion. So, whatever your failure Whatever your disappointment, 
whatever your grief that you're feeling now, be reminded this morning that God gives new beginnings and renews and refreshes the heart who trusts in Him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you again for your grace and your love to us in Christ. Thank you for the song that we sang earlier on, that your love goes on and on and on. And we pray that you would help us in our weakness and in our brokenness to receive your love, to enjoy your love, and to turn to you afresh to receive all that you have for us, that we might be equipped to love you more and to serve you as you call us to. In Jesus' name, amen.